Welcome to PTG TV. This is your host, Antonio Hicks, AKA Escaping the Matrix. In this episode of Real Talk and Conversation with today's candidate, I welcome on my special guest, Nikita Hemingway, candidate for Agricultural Commissioner here in the great state of Georgia. Nikita is a Georgia native born in Savannah and raised in a single parent household out of Decatur, Georgia my home area. Her mother taught her and her siblings the importance of community leadership and never giving up. And she has overcome many adversities to be where she is today as a successful queen mother. (laughs) (laughs) Currently, she maintains a real estate business and runs a small cut, cut flower farm with her husband, Jonathan, and their four children. Nikita believes the people of Georgia deserve better, same as I, and protecting our farmlands and making strong investments in agriculture is something essential to growing Georgia's economy and creating a more prosperous future for all of Georgia. Welcome on, Nikita, Miss Georgia Peach. Thank you. So excited to be here. Yeah, shout out to Georgia natives. I, I talk about this all the time. And even when I was on this radio station last week, I said, I don't have a problem with implants. I love our implants because the implants they came in, they helped to make us more progressive and yeah. actually bring jobs in here. But what I love seeing, same thing I said to Priscilla Smith when she was running up in uh, North Georgia, is that I like seeing our Georgia natives actually get out and run for office to make changes across this entire state and influence the global and our um a nation's economy because it's like you know who better to come out and run in georgia and the people that's actually experienced and lived life here than those yeah. that are coming in from out of town that's telling us they can do it better than we can i'm like this is my house How you, yes. <laughs> you come to my house and tell me you can manage my house better than me so it's nothing again nothing against those that are in office right now because i do respect our leaders that are in office right now and those who have made it in and got elected and i do respect you all but like i say it's, it's nothing better than a homegrown cooking food that just can actually come in and make the change and edify the souls of the georgia natives than those that's coming in from outside the state so that's just my two cents yes no so i it's Funny story, um, after I announced, um, there was a little bit of buzz around my candidacy for this. And one of the biggest, um, most controversial statements I got to this date, he was, his statement was, a farmer from Gwinnett County, really? Is that the best we got? And I'm like, boy, stop. Okay. Where did he get Gwinnett from anyway? (laughs) (laughs) So, well, I live in Gwinnett now. Um, and my farm is in Gwinnett. But the reality is, is when you and I were growing up, the population of Metro Atlanta area was 500,000 people. Yes. You know, and if you are from Georgia, you are from all of Georgia because nobody lived exclusively in Decatur or in the city. Most nope. times you are from South Georgia. My yep. family is from Savannah and coastal South Carolina. So my life was school year in the city, summertime, holidays, every vacation, in the country. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Also, oh, you grew up the same way I did. Yeah, it was yes. up here in Stone Mountain. And then once that, once we got out of school, straight down to Macon. <laughs> and my mother, look, my mother didn't wait. If we got out of school on June 1st, we were in South Carolina by June 2nd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we didn't come back until a couple of days before school. So, um, yeah, no, I'm excited to be in this space. I'm excited to you know, fight for the people of Georgia because this is, we're family. This is, Mm -hmm. this is about all of us. And it's going to take people like us to change the dynamics for us. We can't expect outsiders to come Mm -hmm. in and, and do things right for Georgians. This is about us. So, yeah. So before we even get started, I'm gonna ask you this, cause since you, since you went through the same thing I went through growing up, which I loved it. Now, sure. the heat, conversation I had yesterday about global warming, how has the heat been for you this part of your life than it was for you growing up? Cause I told somebody recently, I said, I never got burned growing up. I never got sunburned. I mean, we got dark, but I never got sunburned, sunburned growing up. And I said, we were outside from full day in the morning when the sun came up and we finished cleaning up and having breakfast. Yeah. And we stayed outside until the sun was coming down because we couldn't come inside because we smelled bad. We couldn't come in the house, smell like outside. Yeah. Until <laughs> the sun was setting and we had to get in the shower or the bathtub and stuff so and nowadays i find myself if i'm outside for like two hours i have to put on sunscreen because i'm getting burned left and right nowadays and i was like it can't be because i'm getting old no you like skin see i'm dark (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> you still can get extra chocolate. You still <laughs> that, that that doesn't happen to me. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna tell you. So one of the things I'm realizing is that as I get older, I want to be warm all the time. Mm-hmm. Like I don't like cold unless I'm sleeping. So um little secret is I have my space heater on up under my desk because my whole house, like everyone likes this cool temperature. So right, we keep it at around 69, 70 degrees. Mm-hmm. And I like to be warm, but like you, you know, my grandparents were cold blooded. They were like, okay, y'all get outside. Y'all stay outside. And it, that sun was no joke. And it was Mm-mm. like, oh, grandma, I'm, you know, I'm thirsty. It's like, it's water hose on the side. Yes. <laughs> yes. The water hose. Yes. <laughs> Ooh, I was surprised we didn't get lead poisoning or nothing. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, I know. And she was like, yeah, y'all go around. I mean, it didn't work. Keep the flies out. That screen door stays mm-hmm. latched. <laughs> you better not leave that door open either. <laughs> yes. But, you know, this year has been, um, uh, you know, part of being a farmer, you're part meteorologist, part scientist, and you're always studying and monitoring the weather. Mm -hmm. And um, this has been a very strange year for us. Um, We have not gotten as much sunlight. Um, The weather, you know, when we would expect rain, the the rain hasn't been coming. And then we get like this whole... A flash of rain. It's just too much water. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's been a really weird year in terms of the climate um, for us. I'm noticing that it's been very it's it's been very humid, um, but it hadn't gotten to that point of oh my gosh, I can't breathe in this Georgia heat weather yet. Mm-hmm. At least for where where we live, um, and and I think it is a testament to global warming, you know, and it's concerning for me. So. Um, we typically, in, in the cut flower industry, we are cultivating and producing crops at a very rapid rate as opposed to other types of farms. For example, if you're a corn farmer, like my in-laws are, their mm-hmm. season, it takes them 90 to 120 days before they have crop. Whereas in cut flower industry, I can have crop in 30 days. Um, and we're co- continuously harvesting at least for eight to nine months. This year, um, some of our plants that we started back in February are just starting to bloom and they should have bloomed two, three months ago. So um, global warming is very real, real. And the impacts like at this point, it's like, okay, how do we position ourselves to where we can be prepared for this? Because this is my business. This is how we make money, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, the weather's been strange this year and I, I'm not sure if I have a full um opinion on it as of yet. No, I just know it's hot. And, and, and I saw the, <laughs> the uh, wind stream too come in from, I heard it's yesterday that we have to watch out for the smoke coming in from California from all of their forest fires that's taking place again. I was like, they just made it all the way over here? That's amazing. It is. So yeah, who is, so who is Nikita Hemingway? Oh gosh. So that is such a loaded question. It is. Um, <laughs> it is, yeah. So, um, who is Nikita Hemingway? Wow. Tell it all. Tell it all. Well, I can start by saying I know without question that I am my ancestor's wildest dream. You know, I'm very spirited. Um, I don't, um, I'm a fighter mm-hmm. and, and I love people. You know, I care about people. Um, I grew up in a single parent home. Uh, my my mother did it the right way. She married her high school sweetheart and they had kids. And unfortunately, it didn't work out. You know, one day my dad just left. And when he left, he took everything and we had nothing. And um, she really shaped my perspective of, of accountability, ownership, and self-determination. Because here it is, a woman with three children with absolutely not a penny to her name, and she found a way. You know, she started off as a hotel maid, and then she worked her way up into being a hotel manager. And then she eventually went to school to become a cosmetologist and owned her own salon in Lithonia, Georgia, until she retired, you know, at 59 years old. You know, so my mother coming from nothing, she also became the first entrepreneur that mm-hmm. I saw. And she was the first community activist that I got to know because she always 
told us the importance and showed us the importance of taking care of people around you. You know, when I talk about like my life, I tell snippets of my life just so people can understand that I get it. Like I understand where you're coming from, the challenges you had to go through, um, but it was hardcore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was really difficult. Um, I, you know, I never really talked about being a sex assault victim until I ran for politics because I understood um, that in this day and age, people need to understand or they need to see people like them running for office. You yes. know, that, that politicians are real people too. And if they Some don't have, yes. <laughs> and if they don't have real world experiences and if they're not being transparent about who they are, then maybe they're not the right person for the job. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so there, there was that. There were the three of us. I'm the oldest of three. I went through that. I went through depression and low self-esteem um, throughout my youth. I dropped out of high school um, because of depression and self-esteem in my 11th grade year. And um, I became a single parent by the age of 23. You know, And it's crazy because growing up in that environment and seeing everything that my mother went through with the three of us, Mm -hmm. I never wanted to become a statistic, you know, and here it is at 23 years old, I became a statistic. Um, But despite the adversities, like I don't often get to talk about the wins, which was even though I dropped out of high school, two weeks later, I went and got my GED. And I started my first business at 21 years old. And I've Mm -hmm. owned numerous businesses, you know, ever since. I've worked in corporate America um, in executive support roles for major Fortune 500 companies. I've been a chief operation officer of a tech startup for several years. I've done so many things with my life. And then the fun Nikita, she's this little um, girl who likes has probably about 20 or 30 different hobbies and um, is always challenging herself to be and do more and remove limitations and I love absolutely love 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 learning so that's me Yeah, I don't get why people are so ashamed in telling their stories that's what's always weird to me and I do I am a firm believer that if you don't have a story to tell and you say I've never really been through any of that then I, it's kind of hard for me to kind of listen yeah. to you and take advice from you. Because <laughs> I'm like, if yeah. you, it's how can you relate to an individual if you've never been through anything to cause you any angst in your life to where you got to pull yourself out of it? Yeah. And like, for me, I've always been honest about the stuff that I've been through because it was terrible. And it's like, yeah. but I, I've overcome it. But like, because we had somebody that came through recently, we donated a couch to him. And I was at my sister's house because that's who we're staying at right now until uh, Allstate fixes my house. And uh, we've been waiting on for the past three weeks. So, yeah, I'm, I'm dropping it out there. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> my um, my in-laws, they're coming up and they're coming to stay with my, my, my wife's sister in her house. And my wife had a couch that was up in here that she was trying to get rid of. So we gave it away. And the person that came to pick it up, they were homeless. And they, had, they were just getting themselves together. And somebody saw the couch was given away online. Long story, somebody saw the couch was given away online. And they, they called them up because they were friends with them and trying to help them out. But I'm talking to them out in the driveway. And the woman, she has um, with lupus. And so she's dealing with a lot of medical issues. So she starts crying. And she's like, you know, it's just hard for me to even talk about this. And we've been going through it. And so I had to give what we say our testimony. So I had to give yeah. my testimony to her too, because I was like, "Hey man, I understand what you're going through." I said, "Don't think because you see this, you know, this big house and this fancy car in the driveway that you know I haven't or anybody hasn't gone through a struggle." I'm like, sure. "I was homeless for two years." I'm like, "Bro, I was laying on somebody's floor because I didn't have any other place to stay. I was laying on my kid's old mattress. Yeah. I'm like, I had to walk to work. I was like, you want to break somebody's soul? Have them walk to work." by a job that's close by them because they can't afford transportation. They can't afford a car. They, I couldn't even afford an umbrella because I, I'm a firm believer. Yeah, I got homeless when I was, after me and my first wife, we divorced. So I'm like, so I any money I had, I wanted to make sure that my children were taken care of. So I didn't keep anything for myself. So I couldn't even afford an umbrella. So I'm walking to work in torrential downpours. It's snowing outside, I'm walking to work. And so I always had a pack, I have a backpack of change of clothes. So when I got into the, to work, I could change myself out and have some clean clothes. But I told her, I was like, but you know, that's not the end of your story and the end of your journey. 
No. I'm like, never accept the problems that you're going through right now to be the end all. I said, because you always have to look past those in order to get to your goal and to the finish line. I was like, Cause look where I'm at today. I said, I pulled myself out of there. And that's not to say I'm not going to ever experience any struggles again. But what it has taught me is, and I told the same thing it can teach you is, no matter how hard it gets once you come out of it, it can never get back as worse as it was before you got to where you are now. And you can use it as a means to continue to boost yourself up and give yourself motivation and encouragement and then turn around and bless the people behind you. Let them know that, hey man, this is not it. You know, you can, you too can overcome it too. So, sorry, I had to, I had to put my motivational speech out there today. No, you're good. You're good. But, but you touched on a point. Why is it that people feel bad and they don't like sharing their story? Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, is that we've criminalized being poor. We've criminalized being needy and there is no pride in not having what you feel you're supposed to have. But the reality is, is the system is broken and Mm -hmm. it doesn't work just and fair and equally for everyone, you know, Mm -hmm. and and much like my mother's situation, when my father left, he emptied her savings account and left her with nothing, you know, and how do you build? It is cold-blooded. And how do you build from that, you know? But we've got to have these real conversations because just like my father did that, he was not in my life for a great deal of my childhood. Now, let me tell you a story. You want to talk about redemption? Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, 11 years ago, because he went missing and we couldn't find him, we looked for him everywhere. And when my sister finally found him, he was... um, he, he didn't know that we knew that he had a period of time in which he was homeless. She bought him a plane ticket so he can come out and see us. And when he spent time with us and he saw me, and this is before I got married to my husband, and he saw me with my kids, you know, and I just told him I didn't want to get, you know, didn't want to shame him for his predicament and his situation. But one of the things I told him, I said, hey, if you ever, you know, if you ever need a place to live, you know, just come talk to me, you know, mm-hmm. we'll do that. And then fast forward two months later, I get in a call from my sister and she goes, so are you picking your dad up at the airport? And I'm like, what? <laughs> she's like, yeah, he said he's coming. He's moving here to come and live with you and your boys. And so, you know, and I had just purchased my house at that time. And so mm-hmm. when he came here, I went through an identity crisis because here I am, this young girl or this woman having grown up and a part of my identity has been my father wasn't there and I'm a single parent, you know, grew up in a single parent home to now mm-hmm. my father is here, regardless of the fact that I'm an adult and I'm having to work through this relationship. And I kid you not, Antonio, I started a garden in the backyard. Mm-hmm. And every day I go to work, I tell my dad, hey, could you mind my garden for me? Could you do this, do that? Could you do that for the boy? And he did. And we started having conversations. And I learned that my father left home when he was 14 years old and he didn't understand what love was. It was a healing experience. And I have a better I have a better relationship with my father today than I did 10, 20 years ago. And I think when we are talking about, you know, being poor in, in the shame and the pride and all of that, when we can look at our challenges for what they are, be honest about the issues we're dealing with, there's healing in that. Mm-hmm. There's progress in that, you know, and, and I often tell people forgiveness is really about you and then it's less about the person who did an atrocity to you. Because when you forgive, you're able to move forward in your life. You're not stuck mm-hmm. in that space. And much like, you know, being impoverished, when you're able to learn from your predicament, when we are open about where we are financially and we seek help, the help we need. My mother refused food stamps, you know, and she struggled very hard to raise us because of her pride. She didn't want to use the system to raise her kids. She wanted to do it, but she didn't own a car until I was 17 years old, Mm. you know, and all of these different things. And now on this side of things, she's like, you know what? I don't know why I never started a garden. I grew up on a farm. I could have fed you guys. That could have been, mm-hmm. you know, so we've got to be honest about where we are in life so that we can solve our problems at a more faster pace and get to where we need to go. 
Right, you gotta have those conversations and I'm, I'm glad you were able to have that with your father. And that's the stigma that we have within our own community that we see faults, but we never try to truly understand what the faults are. And that's one of Correct. the biggest things that we face when we, we talk about mental health, because I'm a big mental health advocate. Me too. Because I, I think that we all go through so much stuff and we suffer from PTSD because we choose not to bring it up and have conversations about it or even go see a therapist because we look at it as a means of weakness. Like your mom didn't want to get food stamps because that pride behind her felt as though that she would be looked at, I guess in my opinion, she would be looked like she was less than. And a lot of our family members, they're like that. I don't want to ask for help. Me too, me too. Mm -hmm. I don't want to ask for help because if I ask for help, that means people are going to know what my situation is and they're going to think less of me because we're supposed to always be doing good. And my thing is when people have gone through something, you, it, there's like I tell my boys all the time there's a reason behind everything it's one thing I, I told them throughout it was kids whenever you do something there's a reason behind everything and I always seek to understand it could be something good and it could be yep. something bad but you have to seek that knowledge out to find out why they did what they did or why they're doing what they're doing same as when I was managing people when I was I'm not gonna say my company I was working at managing a group of people I was working at, like the management team wanted you to hold people accountable. If they came in for work later, they came back from lunch later, or they were missing from the desk for an extended amount of time. And they never really wanted you to actually sit down and talk to people to figure out, okay, why are you coming in at this hour? Sure. Now, sometimes it's not always an excuse. They just late because they're just late. And then it's, you write them up. But sometimes people are going through something. I had one guy, he was going through a divorce and he was just couldn't sleep at night. He was just, his spirit was just broken. I had other another woman, she was going through physical abuse at home. So during her lunch hour, she would just have a breakdown at work. And, you know, once you talk to those people and help make, and this is the qualities of a leader. Once you talk to those people and you help them to overcome their circumstances, they won't be completely healed, but at least they've gotten it out. Like your dad, he got it out of his system. He told you what was going on with him and he didn't know what it meant to to love and to even have a family. You can start that whole healing process and they turn out to be something, be a diamond in the rough and be an actual jewel that can benefit you and benefit themselves and help push them onto the next stage of their life. And the same thing with you and, and farming. That's the, I'm glad you into farming. The biggest thing I talk about too when it comes to our urban and our rural areas is that we're seeing a big, a huge thing of, um, what is it? I'm having a brain fart right now. A food drought. <laughs> yes. So I'm like, so, you know, there aren't any good grocery stores in some rural areas. We don't have, there aren't any good grocery stores around certain areas. We got what, what yeah. the Dollar General's popping up left and right, but you can't get grocery stores. So, what is it? How do you see that expanding now? One thing I will say, and I'm literally answer the question. Sure. I was out helping uh, Katie Kissel yesterday, uh, canvassing for her. And one thing she does push for, and she has, is a community farm. In that community, and it's a huge community farm too. I mean, they got goats, chickens, they got a pig That's out there. They have tons of crops, but it's for the community. And it's so that you can get fresh food and you don't pay for nothing. It's, they grow it out there and once the crops come in and it's, it's coming to harvest, they give it out to the community for free. And I was right. like, that's what, kind of what we're talking about before you know, we actually started the show, growing up in the South, we had so much stuff growing out in the open area that if you were homeless, you might've been homeless, you need a roof over your head, but you never went hungry because that's it was right. always some food somewhere that you can just grab, just naturally growing and just eat it. And yep. I'm like, that's the place that we should get back. Cause Georgia is green. Georgia is a green state. Yeah. And we have a lot of land that we can have. It doesn't necessarily have to be a dog park. No. Nope. It can it be a, a local community farm that we all manage together. And that way you don't have to worry about people that don't have enough money because I don't know why it costs so much money to eat healthy. <laughs> so but you can get- have to. <laughs> right, right, so you can have the local areas that you can go and grab the crops themselves and you can have access to cucumbers and potatoes and stuff that you don't have to pay for the grocery store. You just gotta go get regular stuff at the grocery store. So I'm gonna just answer that question, I'm sorry. Yep, no, no, I love it. So, um, Multi, multi-fold. I am from the school of, if you ever want to solve a problem, you don't give a man a fish, you teach him how to fish. Mm-hmm. 
you know? And I personally, I do believe, you know, that there is some giving that we need to have here, mm-hmm. you know, but we also need to teach. And one of the things I want to do as agriculture commissioner, which is in my wheelhouse to do within the budget there is to start seed libraries all over the state. And it's not a standalone entity. It can be adjoined to any public library throughout the state. Mm-hmm. And the whole design behind a seed library is that there are seeds that members can actually come and yes, check out, meaning get for free. And oftentimes the seeds are just your, you know, um, non-GMO heirloom seeds, tomatoes, cucumbers, the basic food staples. Mm-hmm. And the only expectation is that at the end of the season, you return seeds back to the library so that the program can continue. And then I want to amp up local education around gardening. I want to start more gardening groups, more local gardening groups, because just like my mother shared, it didn't dawn on her, on her even growing up in a, a farming community in, in, in the rural South, to start a garden to feed her children. Something, it's within her wheelhouse, she had those skill sets. But that wasn't her mindset because she was so focused on, we got to get the light bill paid. We got to get the phone bill paid. You know, I got to make sure that we have rent and things. She never looked at what was already right in front of her. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it is a challenge that we don't have grocery stores and we don't have farmers markets everywhere. But let's start with the easy stuff, the low hanging fruit. Let's start yeah. teaching people how to grow their own foods. That's the first place we start. And and children, they love this. They get my kids, my son, my four-year-old walks around and he gives tours of our farm and he goes, this is Jonah's farm. Welcome to Jonah's farm. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, Jonah, show me your farm. And he'll go and he takes vegetables and he shows us things. He gets out every single morning, my four-year-old, and he Mm -hmm. walks in our yard and he goes and he picks whatever ripe blueberry or blackberry there is, or tomato, and he sits out there and he eats it. And that brings me so much joy because there are so many stories and so many different little adventures I had with my cousins growing up, being able to climb and Mm -hmm. pick fruit off of plum trees and sit out and have your, we're having a party, and it's all fruits and vegetables that you gather from out in the yard. And, you know, and it's crazy because that is the healthiest times we were. There were no Cheetos. There was no candy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this is these were our snacks when we were younger. So that's a good place to start. Um, and then the other challenge is even though Georgia is an ag first state um, and, and we are green here, we've got to be real about the trade agreements that we have both on the national level and the statewide level. Because in, in 2020, 80% of the food we consumed in the state of Georgia was imported. Mm-hmm. How, how does how does that help our farmers here? How does that help the people here? Because when we're importing food, you're talking about the environmental impact. You're talking about nutrition density being so much lower. Mm-hmm. The quality of food, when you go out and you buy a bag of lettuce, it lasts for two days and now you're tossing them. How is that economically responsible for the people of Georgia when half of the stuff you buy, it doesn't last more than 24 hours or so. You know, um, in in terms of health, you know, my husband has seasonal allergies. And um, when we first started dating, I mean, it was really bad. He'd have to go and get a shot. And so I I introduced him to local honey. And he was like, well, what is local honey? Why is local honey important? And I explained to him, the environmental impacts you're having, your body is not used to it. And the only way you can get acclimated to it, very much like vaccines and all the other things, is by introducing these elements to your body. So getting honey that's locally grown in your community where you live, that comes from the flowers and the vegetation in your space, is going to help you build immunities. Now, my husband doesn't take so much as a tablet anymore for his allergy. You know, and and that is a testament to the food. Our food should come from our local spaces because mm-hmm. oftentimes the nutrition, the the nutritional um, deficiencies that we experience, we can get that from the environment in which we are in. It doesn't help us to eat a peach or a pear from China. That's not going to put in what we need in our body. We need pears grown in Georgia mm-hmm. in our system. So. 
I'm definitely from the school of local food movement. I said what's weird about that. It's I didn't have allergies until we I left we left from Macon up here into uh <laughs> Stone Mountain. Yeah. And I'm like, that was the weird I didn't get asthma. So when growing up, you know, you're running outside, running around, it's policies and you never had any issues. Man, we went from Macon to uh Stone Mountain, I got asthma and I was like, why am I having a hard time breathing? And it's yeah. all the and I still now I do I love honey. But that local honey said it has not worked on me at all. Really? <laughs> it has. Not, and I mean, I've heard that before. And yeah. I do believe, I mean, I believe what you're saying too. Not to say I'm, I'm disagreeing with you. I do actually no, believe no. what you're saying. It's just weird though for me because I'm starting to get like fall allergies. I never got fall allergies. I'm like, where is this coming from? So I do have, to, I'm like your husband. I have to take Claritin. Like I know yeah. when allergy season come around, I have to pop Claritin. Now I've never had to get a shot before, but yeah, I, I do have to take some Claritin so I can survive because it's, it's terrible. Yes. So it, that's crazy because a lot of it does relate back to food though. So there's bee pollen too. There's so many other homeopathic things that are out there as well, but yeah, yeah. So what made you run for office? Um, haha. <laughs> so in 2018, we purchased land here to start our cut flower farm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, although the land is zoned agriculturally, there are parts of it that still require special use permitting. Mm -hmm. And at the end of that process, um, the restrictions that were passed upon our land varied so greatly from our county, um, ordinance and also the state of Georgia, Mm -hmm. um, we couldn't build our farm. You know, we have, we, I still live in my house, which is in the subdivision, even though we're farming on our land 10 minutes away because the building, the building restrictions that we're still trying to work through. And it was when I spoke to my attorney and she said, yes, Nikita, you could sue. And yes, Nikita, you do have a case, but do you want to be broke at the end of this? Because the reality is, is that they have taxpayer dollars to pay for all their legal expenses. Mm -hmm. And they will outspend you in the courts until you have nothing. She said, but there's another way to do it. And I said, okay, what is that? She said, run for office. She said, because it's going to take enough of us to be in office, to be able to make ensure that we are following the law to the letter and also to make sure that we're passing regulations and, and policy and ordinances that are beneficial to the people in order to change the dynamics. So in 2020, I ran for House District 104 um, because I saw an opportunity to be able to help shape the laws. And um, we had a very, very close race. I ran against um, uh, the incumbent. He um, raised $1.3 million. Um, The slander ads were nonstop. I mean, they started early. I'm talking about May of last year. And that was brutal. Um, and we lost by less than 770 votes. Um, but my love for agriculture, my understanding of land use rights, I've been in the real estate industry for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I really feel in this space that I can make a tremendous impact and improve the quality of lives for people in the state of Georgia. So that's why I decided to run. Yeah, I'm gonna need to talk to you afterwards too because I, I need to sell my house because yeah, this uh, once this, this pipe and stuff get done being fixed, I'm out of there. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, I will tell you, this is a great time to buy. I meant to sell as long as you have a place to buy. <laughs> oh, I got a place to lay in my head. Oh, yeah, because my equity is looking. So so I learned. I learned from my after I bought my, my, bought my first house. I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm going to buy my house cheap. I'm going to fix it. Well, I fix it partially, but I'm going to buy something real cheap that way in a good area so I can have me a ton of equity. Oh, boy, I got some equity in my house. Yes, now. yes, yes. <laughs> so so. I, told my, uh, I told my wife, she was like, because I bought my house before, I, you know, before we even started dating. And I was like, my intention was never to keep it as a rental property. She tried to convince me to do it because she was like, well, we can have it and have some extra money. But man, I had so much stuff going on in this house. I'm like, I'm about to pull this stuff out, get us some other place. And then, uh, cause we want to have a kid too. Have a kid and some place for my boys uh-huh. when they come down from college, they can stay too. And then I can have my own like studio space inside of the house too. But yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's, it is a seller's market. Buyer's market, no. No, no, Ooh. I have. And look, that that little call right there, I know the number. It's from people calling me about a house that I have listed. Um, 
but I can't keep a listing. So if anybody's looking to sell a house, call me because I have buyers. And and I work mostly with real estate investors. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been my bread and butter. I've never had to um, advertise because of my relationships in this industry. But I kid you not, my phone is blowing up right now. Um, it's weird. So yeah. where are the the the? So you work in this, this avenue, and yeah, we're still talking about agriculture and stuff because sure, I mean, no. deforestation is coming from them doing yeah. all this building. So my question is, because all those work hand in hand, where the hell are these people coming from? Because I looked at all these new developments, and the houses are completely sold out, and they haven't even started building them yet. Yes. So I have, I had a client, I'm not going to tell all their business, but they literally had to sell their house, become renters mm-hmm. for a home that they're buying in a new home community, which is not going to be ready until November because the builders, their properties are so, so, uh, so backlogged that um, they're not even accepting contracts with contingencies. So the reason we're in this state, believe it or not, is because of the moratoriums. Usually foreclosures create additional inventory in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. But because we have this moratorium on evictions, now there are no foreclosures in the marketplace, which means you have an an even smaller pool of homes that are for sale. And what the, my clients, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) And I put the do not disturb. I don't know how they got through. And even with the, um, even with, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, so we're talking about moratoriums and we're mm-hmm. talking about the housing market and the, and the current state of the housing market. So with the, with the banks, the USD, the Fed lowering interest rates to zero, it's now cheaper for banks to loan money out, which is why you see decreased interest rates. I mean, I have clients who I sold a house to them. Their interest rate was 1.99%. Ooh, ooh. Yes. Ooh. So I'm like, of course, it's a great time to buy a house. You want to sell a house? I'll sell it for you. Where are you going to go? Right. <laughs> yeah. Because I saw somebody with a rate because my rate is low. I think I have... At the time, it was like one of the best. It was like three percent. Okay, but yeah, I saw a rate just like two point two, and I was like, Jesus Christ! I said, Oh, but it's like, right? You can't find <laughs> you can't no, find you a house can't. nowhere, and the houses you do find, they're like overpriced. Exactly. Oh my gosh! Yes. Yeah. So, and and when I tell you, um, yeah, my sellers they're getting over top dollar, which is scary. You know who's buying because now these are investors. Who are buying up these houses uh, um, and so the imbalance makes me nervous it really does and I'll tell you why so we have this housing market right mm-hmm. and we have fewer houses on the market we don't have the foreclosures which once that hit the, the shift it's going to shift and it's no longer going to be a seller's market mm-hmm. um, and then the the buyers who are winning the bids are predominantly investors and so, and here's a good way to understand it. So if you have 1,000 people mm-hmm. and there are, and there are 1,000 homes, mm-hmm. and even though you may qualify for a home, if 900 of those homes are rentals, regardless of whether you have the money to qualify for a home and, and you are financially secure to be able to own a home, you won't become a homeowner. You will be forced to become a renter. Okay. And that's not a good thing. And so that's one of the things that is currently happening right now that's not being talked about, it's not being covered because that widens the wealth and poverty gap, that strengthens that gap when Mm. people cannot make investments to build financial security. You know, so there are so many things that are attacking the middle class right now. We're seeing it. And this mm-hmm. is one of them and no one's talking about it, you know, so it, you know, I'm happy to be able to sell my clients properties and them, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 over asking price. But then in the back of my mind, I'm also looking at who the buyer is and looking at the health of the market. And so I'm, I'm encouraging people, Hey, you know, you know what it felt like being in COVID-19 being locked up. Did you like living in that subdivision? No. You didn't have any amenities. Would you like to be someplace more rural? Because our rural communities, this is a great time for them to build. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a great time for us to include 
it increase um, home ownership in those rural communities, build those communities, and now we can we have revenue in those areas. So we can get broadband and we can get more hospitals. It's going to take that. It's going to take another migrate migration in this state in order to help build these rural areas. It doesn't all have to come from the government in order to build rural communities. We as citizens can make these choices ourselves to move out into these communities and say, hey, you know what? I am from, you know, 96 or I am from Macon. And, you know, I do like this area. It was a great community. And maybe I need to talk with five or six of my friends and see if they will be interested in going into these places. Because I'll tell you what, nobody, there isn't a, um, it's, it's not a seller's market on commercial space in rural communities. Think about that, investors. You can go in and, and buy you a storefront ownership, uh, storefront facility, 80, 90,000, sometimes cheaper. Start oh, really? Yes. Oh, we will need to talk after that. After this, yes. yeah. Yeah, because this, um, well, I will say, I agree with you, but I will say too, though, if you like kind of what we were talking about earlier, if you bought your property early on with the intentions of eventually selling it, I think this is a great time for you to sell it and have some extra money in the bank so you can invest it to start like the business you just said and invest into your next future. Because one thing I learned from this pandemic, I think everybody kind of opened their eyes up and realized that corporate America and the government wasn't about them at all. <laughs> so yeah. they're trying to redefine themselves and actually work in the jobs or create the careers they've always wanted to work. And I think that's great. The problem is though, yeah, ain't nobody working no more. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> people are doing what they want to do, which I, I've always loved that. But now is it's an offset because now people realize these jobs didn't care about them. And even though now these jobs coming back and some, oh, we're going to give you a thousand dollar bonus to come in here, or we're going to give you these thirteen and fourteen dollars hours that you're living for, but you still not giving them forty hours of work week. You're only giving them twenty five or thirty, so they're really not working full time anyway. You just you shutting shorten down the time and frame that they would work and get a full paycheck. But I'm happy that people have found out what their true passions were and yeah. they're trying to work in that no matter how small it was, because they, they realized I can make the same thing doing what I love doing. It's not a whole lot, but I was making that same thing working in fast food or working in retail. But yeah. now it's the offset and the question that we've never been able to answer, the formula we've never been able to solve. I've always said, well, if you didn't have the older generation or younger kids working in these retail jobs and you don't want to pay them living wages, then who are you going to have working there? You're and right. so it's, it's always, well, there's always going to be a, a poor segment of the market that works those jobs. But I'm like, well, what happens if they figure that out and they actually find out a, they have a passion in something else and they start making the same pay they were making in those other jobs? What then? And I'm like, and they said robots are coming on it, but robots aren't coming fast enough. So okay. like now what? So I'm like, because now you got fast food restaurants, they're having to close down early or not open on certain days because they don't have enough workers. Retail places aren't open as, as long as they used to be because they don't have a lot of workers. You have warehouses now too. <laughs> Everything is like kind of falling because yes. people are doing their own thing and people want to blame it on, oh, the government gave them an extra $300. Not here in Georgia. Uh, uh, Kemp, shut that down. <laughs> not here in Georgia at all. Yeah. So... You know, for me, this is this is what I tell you. If you have an entrepreneurial vision, if you have a passion, you know, uh, I think COVID-19 should have inspired you to, no matter what, gamble on yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, cost of living is, is going up. We're not talking about hyperinflation, but you know where cost of living is still stagnant? In those rural communities. You know, um, you I think? had- Yes. So, Ooh, not Loganville. I guess I need to go out further than Loganville. <laughs> Loganville is not as rural as you think. <laughs> Ooh, Loganville. I had a gentleman, and, and seriously, I want you guys to give this some thought. I had a gentleman, he's a mechanic, and he called me and he said, you know, somebody told me I need to talk to you. And I said, okay, tell me about it. And he goes, you know, it's hard for me to keep my business going. Cost of parts, you know, competition, it's very competitive. Where would you think would be a good place for me? So right now we're looking for opportunities in smaller rural communities for him to open up his auto body shop. You want to okay. open up a gym, find a community that doesn't have a gym. It doesn't have to be Metro Atlanta area. 
find you someplace that doesn't have the services you have and I can almost guarantee you, you will find customers. Now there are some places in the state of Georgia where the population is just not large enough to support your business. But mm -hmm. if enough people start moving to these smaller communities, the investment will follow. The opportunities will follow. You don't have to live in a $300,000, $400,000 house on a quarter of an acre. You can take that same amount of money, get you 10 acres somewhere, live cheaper. The problem I have though, is that like you said earlier though, there is no access to broadband. And they, and even though Dill, Dill said it and well, Dill tried doing it. Well, he said he was gonna do it at first. And then Kemp said it too, that he was gonna work with the um, ISPs, the internet service providers to have them extend fiber out to all the rural areas. That ain't happening even though he said he was in, investing money into it. So now if you go to those areas, you don't have access to high speed internet. And people say, well, they can do sales. I know cell towers don't have it either. So it's, it's though that sounds good. And that is ideal, ideal to do that because you will get more bang for your buck out there. It said if you operate in a networking type of a space to where you want to operate online or you want to, I don't know, you know, use um, the car swipe things out in, in your business. Sure. That's hard if you don't have high speed internet because they're not running yeah. cables out there. Yes, no, you're absolutely right. Um, and, and in a lot of these places, they're using services like HughesNet, which is satellite internet services. Yes. But when I'm talking about rural areas, you know, Waycross, um, there's internet in the city of Waycross and there's plenty of opportunity in Waycross. Okay. You know, so it doesn't, we're not talking about rural to the point of where it sticks trees and your neighbor is 20 miles down the road it doesn't have to be that rural for you but there are towns throughout the state of georgia which you can build opportunities and i would encourage people when you're at a crossroads and you're trying to figure out the next chapter of your life and and it doesn't seem like it's going to happen here in atlanta you have opportunities there are opportunities to build a better future for you and your family so so as we wind down, what is the next step for Nikita? So it is obviously this race. Um, mm -hmm. This race is taking a big chunk of, you know, my time, um, dedicating um, time to um, educate voters around the issues um, pertaining to this office and letting them know how this office can change their lives, how this office can grow Georgia's economy. Um, that is, um, that takes a big chunk of time. But outside of that, it really is spending time with my kids and making sure that they don't get lost or forgotten in this process because, you know, just as much as I'm doing this for the state of Georgia, I'm doing this for them. You know, um, one of the best gifts I can give my children is showing them how to fight and mm -hmm. never giving up. But I also have to be present, you know, and I mm -hmm. want to make sure that they know without question, all four, that they are the most important thing in my life because they are, you know, and none of this matters to me if they're not happy, successful and healthy human beings. You know, you and I talked earlier about, you know, making sure our kids don't start where we started, but start mm -hmm. further ahead, you know? So investing in them, like that's every, that's everything to me. Um, and also taking time for myself and making sure that at the end of the day, regardless of the outcome of this race, regardless of what does or doesn't happen, that Nikita is going to be okay. And Nikita is still happy and healthy. We don't have enough, um, conversations around mental health and we need to and people need to know that yes happiness is not um it's not a forever state you know it is today you can be happy tomorrow you're not mm -hmm. you know and and things will come out of nowhere just when you think life is perfect you'll get something that will truly throw you off so we've got to normalize the conversations around this, but more importantly, we got to take time to look out for ourselves. And that is the one thing that I do is to make sure that I don't lose who I am in the process of all of this. So how can people get in touch with you? How can people find out more about the race and sign up and volunteer and even to donate? 
Yes. So my website is NikitaHemingway.com. And there you definitely can find my act blue link. We love checks. You can send us checks in the mail. We love volunteers. We want you to be engaged as possible. And um, please invite me to your platforms. I'd love to, you know, talk more about agriculture, how to grow, grow Georgia's economy, opportunities for us to be whole, happier people in our communities, and how you can give back in your space. You know, this is a this is a marathon and it is is definitely a war. You know, it's a war for all of our survival and it's going to take all of us to to change the dynamics and make life better. So um, I'm here for it and I'm here to support, you know, as many people and as many entities as I can. And um, I'm always a text phone call away. I'm also on Facebook and on Twitter. So. And one thing I ask my guests when they come on, because we're surrounded by so much uh, chaos and turmoil, especially on social media, Jesus Christ on social media, uh, is to leave with a positive final thought. Now, you don't have to. <laughs> I just ask. I ask it, though, because I think, you know, as leaders, we should yes. be able to encourage those around them and give them some form of inspiration. Yes. So my positive final thought would be that you're worth it. No matter what the noise is around you, no matter what life tells you, you're worth every sacrifice. Each person is unique. Um, we have definitely lost our way in this country where everything is about partisanship. Everything is about, you know, race. Everything is about gender. Everything is about everything it shouldn't be instead of what it is, which is we're all human beings. We all need grace. We all need love, compassion. We all need opportunities to thrive and grow. We all just want to live life on our own terms. And I'm telling you, all of that can be achievable. We've got to learn how to work together to set aside our differences and be invested in the success of all of us. That's mm -hmm. the only way we win. If we've learned nothing from COVID-19, we the one thing we should know is that we're all connected. No man is an island. So um, let's just do this for all of us. Amen to that. So I want to thank you for appearing on again. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you. And one thing I do say is that, you know, it's, it's, it's strange that we have so many people in our office and people that have been here for a long time, but yet we still have these problems that take place today. So I encourage everybody to open your eyes up to new candidates and people that's coming in with old ideas that's almost seem like they're new ideas, but they're old yeah. ideas that really should be put in place right now. So I am Antonio Hicks, Escaping the Matrix, Miss Escaping the Matrix. And one thing I will say is that to piggyback off of what Nikita was saying is that, yeah, there's a lot of divisiveness taking place. And one thing that us country folks learned a long time ago is that, you know, we all have to stick together, especially when it comes to community. And yep. one thing I spoke out on a radio station before, it, we do have a lot of partisanship. We talk about individual race, I don't care if it's a black race, Asians, or the, mix, the Hispanic community, Spanish community, or even white Americans. I think that if we all come together as a community because we all want the same thing, we all want to live a happy, fruitful life. We want our kids to grow up yep. and to be successful in life. So we focus on those two things of establishing community and building a community, we can help push this economy and push this, this global economy to the next level so we can actually start doing things for our own personal advancement of our body and our health. So I want us all to focus on community, focus on your community, because it's not just about you, it's about everybody that's around you. So stop being selfish and always lead first with love and not yep. with hate. Yep. So thank you all for tuning in. Thank you again, Nikita. Thanks, I will be following you. your race <laughs> and I encourage thank everybody you. to sign up, volunteer, donate. You know, always have to donate dollars, but donate your time because the word of mouth is just as valuable as a dollar. So thank you again. Look forward for the next conversation. Sounds Happy podcast, everybody. Thank you.